I've got a bit of a thinner pulpit today, so I'm sorry if my fidgeting bothers you, but I'll do my best. Before we hear God's word for us this morning, would you join me in prayer? God of love and power, you are revealed to us in your word, in accounts of prophecy and fulfillment that direct our attention to your Son, Jesus Christ. Illumine us now as we hear your word proclaimed, that we may open our hearts to him, yearn for his coming in glory, and serve him with joy. Amen. Um, today's scripture text this morning is actually John 1. John 1, verses 1 through 18. Hear the word of the Lord from the book that we love. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The first chapter of John's Gospel is a poetic, breathtaking theologically glorious introduction to Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And while it might get marked up in an English class for using too many pronouns, these words are clearly crafted by a passionate disciple who is firmly convicted that Jesus is God, the Savior, who offers abundant life. We're meant to read these first 18 verses and be completely blown away by this word, this light of the world, the one who is full of grace, full of truth. Here we have a summary of Jesus' pre-existence, his work in creation, his incarnation and his rejection, 
and his gift of eternal life to all who receive him. Some of the first recipients of John's gospel were likely quite skeptical of Jesus' radical ministry. So this prologue is also on the defensive, you might say. You may have not received him, but some did. Just because some missed the message doesn't mean it isn't true. Some of the first hearers were also mixing up John the Baptist and Jesus. So notice that John is quick to clarify a distinction between the two. The book of Hebrews opens with a similar but more condensed introduction to Jesus. It says this, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he also made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. What's your reaction to God's word this morning? Both the word as we read and our Emmanuel. In this Advent season of waiting and wondering, a season that is familiar, what is God drawing your attention to? Are you skeptical? Are you bored? Are you amazed or indifferent? Pay attention to that this morning. If I asked you, do you believe that Jesus is the incarnate Son of God? Do you believe that Jesus is the light of the world? Do you believe that Jesus is the Word? Do you believe that Jesus is grace and truth? Many of you would say yes. Yes, I do believe that Jesus is God's incarnate Son, the light of the world, the Word, grace, and truth. But if I pushed you with a second question, what does that mean? What would your response be? What does Jesus being incarnate mean? What's the meaning behind the light of the world, the word, the one full of grace and truth? What does that mean? What would you say? And if I push you with a third question, why? Then what would your answer be? Why do you believe that Jesus is God's incarnate son. Why is Jesus the light of the world, the word, the one full of grace and truth? Why does that matter to you? What would you say? I find that Christians, including myself, tend to get stuck on question two and three, the what does it mean and why does that matter conversation. Many Christians have no problem answering yes or no questions about their faith, but they get nervous when pressed for reasons as unique to them as the snowflakes outside. I've talked to many Christians at all stages of spiritual maturity who carry shame, confusion, anxiety, and fear around the why and what does it mean. So the good news is that our text this morning was written for people who are exploring those questions, to those who need encouragement and deepening of their faith, to those who have a basic knowledge of the life and works of Jesus but desire something more, to those who seek a fresh perspective without being judged. If you know the right answers, but don't feel inspired, if you come into church on Sunday morning and leave exactly the same, if you understand Jesus as an idea, but don't actively pursue a relationship with God in all its fullness, John's gospel is for you. I would highly encourage you to read the whole book of John and notice who Jesus says he is, particularly through his seven I am statements. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. 
I'm the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. If we were to craft seven I am statements about Jesus with roots in John 1, the following might be good options. I am with God. This is Jesus saying this. I am God. I am life. I am light. I am the word made flesh. I am grace and truth. I am the son of God. Each one of those is a sermon in and of itself. But what does it mean? And why does it matter? Some of our kids and children in worship in Sunday school have said to me, Pastor Odd, I already know this story. Pastor Odd, this isn't anything new. And my favorite, Pastor Odd, I stopped listening because I know everything about that one. I won't tell you who said it, but I really want to. (laughs) As Pastor Stephen preached a couple weeks ago, Advent and Christmas can be challenging because we're busy and distracted. But Advent and Christmas can also be challenging because we hear stories we already know and we get bored. We completely bypass the fact that these stories are meant to recharge our batteries, to inspire us to witness, like John the Baptist, stories that should live in our hearts and on our lips. John 1, 1 to 18 is meant to be remembered and celebrated all year long, motivating us to testify to the presence of God in our lives. I know this text is familiar, but don't let that be a stumbling block. And I know this text is intimidating because it makes you feel like you have to understand what this means and why it matters right now. But don't let that be a stumbling block either. There's so much that could be said about this text. But let's explore verse 14 with a bit more depth today. Of course, with an Advent twist. Once again, here's verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. We spent the last several months in the Old Testament hearing the stories of Elijah and Elisha this summer and walking through each of the ten commandments this fall. Perhaps you're relieved to be in the New Testament for a while. When John uses the phrase, the word, in verse 14, he's talking about all the words we've heard from scripture made manifest and dwelling among us. God's law, full of grace, full of truth, and God's relationship with God's people coming together in one physical person who is both 100% God and 100% human. The word for the word has deep roots in the Hebrew text, in the Old Testament. In these ancient stories, the word is creative and wise, literally bringing creation into existence and restoring broken relationships between all types of people and with the creation. Wisdom is an important metaphor for God's word and God's spirit in the Old Testament. And John 1 very much reminds me of this idea from Proverbs 8, 27 to 31. While the original context is talking about wisdom, this could also be about Jesus. So hear these words from the book of Proverbs. I, wisdom, was there when he set the horizons in place, when he marked out the horizon on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above and fixed securely the fountains of the deep. 
when he gave the sea its boundary so the waters would not overstep its command, and when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I, wisdom, was constantly at his side. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence, rejoicing in his whole world, and delighting in humanity. Wisdom is used throughout the Old Testament to describe God's nature, God's behavior, God's intent. The word is wise, and as the word made manifest, we know that Jesus himself was incredibly wise, displaying thoughtfulness in his teachings. Matthew 7 says, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. In the Greek texts in the New Testament, the word demands an ethical and unifying response. Hear this from the book of Galatians, where we learn how the people of God are called to treat one another using the word. Galatians 5 says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law, the word, is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire word is fulfilled through loving one another. As the word made manifest, we know that Jesus had much to say about self-sacrificing love, even a love for our enemies. In Luke 6, Jesus said, But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on the cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks of you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. The word is creative. The word is wise, unifying, enduring, and loving. God's law and God's stories, God's creative action in establishing everything that's been made all of this is part of the word, devar in Hebrew, logos in Greek, the word. And yet, according to John, all of this comes together in one person who was both historically bound and yet timeless in an act called the incarnation. And it's this act that forever shatters the distance between God and humanity. I believe that poetry sometimes opens us back up to awe when something is too familiar. So I have a poem for you this morning that captures that distance between God and us shattering when the word becomes flesh and dwells among us. It's called The Coming, and it's by a Welsh poet named R.S. Thomas. Note that it's not, it's not from scripture, but it is inspired by imagery in scripture. So hear this poem. And God held in his hand a small globe. Look, he said. The sun looked. Far off as though he saw a scorched land of fierce color. The light burned there. Crusted buildings cast their shadows. A bright serpent. A river uncoiled itself, radiant with slime. On a bare hill, a bare tree sat in the sky. Many people held out their arms to it as though waiting for a vanished April to return to its crossed boughs. 
the son watched them. Let me go there, he said. The word, the creative, wise, unifying, enduring, loving word, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. God saw a broken people and a broken world and thought, yes, I must go there. Because God loved the world so deeply, we are not the same. Indeed, we have seen his glory, a glory full of grace and truth. There is much to celebrate in this text, so much hope and peace as we consider what does this mean and why does this matter? There is patience for a people who don't have all the answers. Grace upon grace already given, as we know from verse 16. John the Baptist was a rugged guy who certainly didn't have all the answers, but he finds meaning in the ways God worked in his own life. When answering the why does this matter question, John looks to his own experience, and we are invited to do the same. John the Baptist witnessed to the word made flesh. At the time, many confused John and Jesus, which is why you'll notice that the baptism of Jesus is actually removed from this gospel. It was events like John baptizing Jesus that caused people to think that John was Jesus' Messiah. So they got a little mixed up. John is crystal clear in the rest of chapter 1 that it's Jesus who should have our attention. So I'll just read parts of that for you. Picking up in verse 19. Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely. I am not the Messiah. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. And jumping ahead to verse 29, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, this is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed in Israel. Did you notice what John did? He pointed to Jesus. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Look over there. Look at him. See the word made flesh who is dwelling among us. Like John the Baptist, our lives are meant to be a testimony to God's presence, so much so that we can see Jesus and point him out to others. This is a call to witness. But I know better than to ask the frozen chosen to witness without giving a bit of a go of it myself. I'll practice witnessing for you. Prayer has been an important tool for witnessing in my family. In fact, what I remember most about my grandpa, who died in April of 2016, what I remember most about him is his prayer voice. I remember the deep, rich, confident baritone timbre as he prayed over dozens of family meals, and I pray for that same confidence to believe that the darkness will never overcome the light. I remember my grandpa's witness through his prayers, his honesty in coming before the Lord on behalf of our family, 
taking the time to remember before we ate that every good and perfect gift is from above. It's what God's people have been doing for generations, coming before the Lord around meals. My mom and dad carried on this tradition, leading us in prayer over meals and at our bedsides. My in-laws did the same thing with their kids, and now Eric and I do it as well. We come together at the end of the day to pray for each other and to be curious about God's presence in our lives. It's in these small moments that we see Jesus again, that we witness to the word dwelling among us. In this Advent season, as you're working out the what does it mean and why does this matter, look to your own life. Where has God been this week? What is God drawing your attention to? Who are you? Who are you? Would you pray with me? With joy we praise you, gracious God, for you created heaven and earth, made us in your image, and kept covenant with us, even when we fell into sin. We give you thanks for Jesus Christ, our Lord, whose coming opened to us the way of salvation and whose triumphant return we eagerly await. Therefore, we join our voices with all the saints and angels and the whole creation to proclaim the glory of your name through the power of our testimony. May we see you again this Advent season. Be real to us in powerful ways that we cannot ignore. In your holy and precious name we pray, amen.